Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 50th episode, we have artist Mitch Mitchell, who comes to us by way of Canada. Now, we talk at great length about a number of his studio practices and mediums, including printmaking, installation, and some animation, which he talks about a little bit later. And his work primarily deals with landscape in a very non-direct and interesting way, in a very macro-micro kind of way. So it's all very interesting, and hope that you enjoy the episode and check it out. Once again, this is number 50, so it's all very exciting. If you've never heard a studio break before, or perhaps this is the first time that you're listening, you might go ahead and peruse all of the archives that we have. Again, you can simply add more podcasts by adding more posts when you visit studiobreak.com, or if you look over to the left on the sidebar, there is an archive feature that allows you to go month by month and check out all of the great artists that we've had. Again, that's over 50 full-length podcasts and a bunch of shorter ones, so please go ahead and check that out. Once again, if you also look on the left, you'll see a link for me, David Linaway, your host. If you want to check out more of my work, simply follow that link and it'll take you right to my website, so go ahead and do that. Once again, there's a variety of ways to listen to Studio Break Aside from just the default player. In fact, many of our guests subscribe to us through the iTunes store, so search for Studio Break in iTunes and you'll find us there. It's, again, a very convenient way to listen to all of your favorite art programming like Art 21 or Bad at Sports. So please be sure and remember to help by leaving comments and feedback so that others that listen to those podcasts might be able to find this one. We'd really appreciate it. Once again, there's other ways to reach out. You can look for us on Twitter. Just follow us at Studio Break on Twitter. And, of course, you can follow us on Facebook by liking us there. Once again, we provide a number of previews of upcoming guests. We provide updates from past guests that have exhibitions, share competitions, or just share artwork. So if there's anything interesting going on, it'll be there, and you'll want to go ahead and like us. Okay, now that that's out of the way, here is our interview. Please stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, and I'm happy to be joined by Mitch Mitchell. How are you this morning, sir? Good. You? I'm doing well, and I guess it's afternoon for you. Mm-hmm. Um, about. So... If you could just give me a little bit of a, a background uh, to start, um, maybe with your current whereabouts, and then if you can, we'll just kind of pick it up from there. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm currently in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, uh, in Canada, the East Coast uh, island of uh, Canada. I'm teaching, uh, I'm an assistant professor uh, visiting in uh, the, at Memorial University, Granville Campus. And specializing in printmaking and in, in within the printmaking division. Well, could you give us a little bit of a background on where you're from and where you grew up? Uh, yeah, I'm originally from Springfield, Illinois, um, in like the heart of Illinois, and basically grew up there pretty much my whole life until about was, until the age of 27, where I then moved to Canada for grad studies, and then eventually have stayed here um, since then. Uh, my background is basically just totally blue collar family, um, you know, uh, also working and being around Chicago quite a bit growing up, uh, farming area as well, rural, urban, that sort of uh, environment that the Midwestern culture provides and is surrounded by. 
Well, and were you always kind of involved in the arts, or were you an athlete, or is anything uh, anything to tell in terms of what you're interested uh, growing up? I was always involved with the arts. Everything from um, art was always surrounding me, and I was and I was very much a child that um, had uh, would always make things, whether it be artistic or just engineering, like catapults or forts or whatever. Just always building things. And uh, art sort of came with that that sort of um, that, that that sort of fierce, I guess, as it, if my father had called it once, um, just attitude towards just wanting to make things. Um, so yeah, I mean, and then sports-wise, I did of course the sports in high school, uh, baseball, and so on. And but got into really competitive um, biking, like uh, mountain biking and downhilling and such, for quite a period of time. So. That's, uh, well, that's pretty I, much the majority of that, I guess. <laughs> well, and I mean to ask you too. I mean, it's it seems like, in a, especially when I talk to someone that that works so closely with the idea of surroundings and landscape, I'm always curious if that's something that was important to you then when you're growing up, being outdoors. Yeah i I was very much uh, a precocious child, I guess, or always because where we grew up, we grew up around the fields and the farming area. So there's like creek beds. There was an old mine, um, that, the something that we lived and it was nearby. So I was always exploring and always finding things, never really wanting to be inside as much as just wanting to go outside and just raise havoc. Sure. Well, and it tangentially reminds me of, um, you know, the whole Batman kind of falling into like a, like a cave, and being mm-hmm. surrounded by bats, and that's the thing that makes him Batman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I can't help but just you know think about that idea of how something like the like the landscape or being in an environment like that that might not be as active as say living in like a, a New York City or something like that. You know, kind of almost comes ingrained into your 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 psyche. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it's very true. Very true. I think uh, because. We're, I mean, the way I work now is is very much, especially sculptural-wise, production-heavy uh, within the multiple and the addition. Uh, and growing, around, growing up around corn and fields of corn, uh, you're just surrounded by just that work ethic, that multiple, that industry, that production, the waste of it, and so on. So that's definitely tied into a lot of my work now. That's like, Looking back at it, um, it's best, definitely a product of that environment. Well, and so did you know that you always wanted to go and, and study art? You know, like, did you get a lot, get involved in, you know, art club in high school and take all the art classes, that kind of thing? Or was it something that came a little bit later? Yeah, I always took, I went to art camp as a grade schooler and uh, was always involved with art no matter what. Um, later on, when I went to, gra- uh, went to decided to go to school after high school, I was a bit of a, you know, as every student is, they don't know what they're going to do with life, so they started taking a bunch of courses. And I was, uh, my my goal was to be uh, either an engineer or an architect, uh, as well as an artist. So I was uh, kind of burning both candles, uh, the candle at both ends, you know, uh, in education. Sure. But then I finally just dropped the engineering and architecture process early on just to focus on my arts, uh, my studio art studies. So, well, um, and, oh, I was going to say, so it seems like also you might, you might've also been someone that is like a drawer. I don't know why the feeling that, that you were drawing like incessantly for some reason. Yeah. Um, 
I think that has um, a bit of a constant worker. Like I, my hands have always got to be moving, and that's always been uh, you know it's always it's existed everything from like I guess when I was four years old, and my parents still uh, we always tell me that I was always needing to draw or always need to make or build things. So uh, in I think in undergrad it was definitely I was more of a painting student and um, printmaking student. So that that availability of drawing and making and manipulating surface with the pencils and so on is always um, relevant. So um, yeah. And so you were talking then when so then when you started at Illinois State University you were pursuing both art and architecture at that time. Yeah, going into it, I had I have an associate's degree from uh, Benedictine University. Uh, before that, and that was basically, you know, more fo- it was focused on art, but there's a, a greater focus as well on the maths and the sciences for, you know, engineering and everything. And so I went into it originally wanting to do that, but then within the first semester, I just said, like, I don't want to be making other people's mathematical decisions for the rest of my life. I want to do my own thing. So that's when I basically cut the engineering and architecture program short and realized that I could uh, do the exact same mental space, be in the exact same mental space with engineering and all that, and just apply it to studio practice uh, eventually. Um, so. And, and what did you get really invested in when you were studying as an undergrad? I mean, obviously, obviously like in, in the BFA program, you're going to explore a lot of different you know, media and all sorts of things, but I, I know that you... Obviously now, you know, still work with printmaking, and obviously that's something that you investigated. But I mean, what, what was what was the subject matter early on? Did you feel very, you know, focused in terms of no, just what you're interested um, in? Or I was at, originally, I was kind of all over the place uh, purposefully because I just didn't want to focus in on one specific thing. Uh, everything was very figurative. Everything was very, um, you know, representational. Uh, but but always, I guess if there was a focus, it was landscape heavy. Um, there was a lot, lot a continuous sort of storyline around the sort of you know contemporary landscape or this dystopian sort of landscape space. Um, so, but uh, but technically wise, I was like I, I just wanted to experience everything, everything from sculpture to glass blowing to painting, printmaking, um, and the, that's what I think. The professors there really applauded that, so I think it helped out quite a bit too. And was there any anything in particular that kind of made you, I don't know, refocus that idea of, of landscape after kind of exploring all these different things? I think it was historically just like if, if I if there's a moment where I had a conversation with somebody about my interest in landscape, which was made me say, okay, this is what I want to do or focus on for the next at least ten to twenty years of my my studio art career was having really in-depth conversations with a number, a couple of people, one being Jim Butler, who was the professor in um, lithography there, and uh, who became a bit of a, a landscape mentor in regards to just talking about landscape historically as contemporary and the visual construct of it. And uh, also just really sitting down and talking with uh, L.J. Douglas at times and, and Shona McDonald, they were the painting professors. Sure. Um, just you know, what what? How can we visually construct landscape uh, without showcasing landscape and, and these these really theoretical conversations that were uh, just born out of 
these interdisciplinary practices. Printmaking is such a, it seems like such a detailed and, you know, technical kind of process, or at least Mm -hmm. it can have all those variations on it. Were you particularly driven um, to do intaglio prints or litho prints, or how did you explore all these different techniques and approaches to printmaking? Um, I think my my initial response to it was um, I associated it considerably to um, factory work and just, just farming culture that the culture I grew up around just uh, working like the um, just the multiple like doing random tasks um, you know or doing um, one task numerous times and I really enjoyed that the monotony of it as well as the um, um, like yeah, I guess the monotony of it was something that I was automatically attracted to. Um, so printmaking really, the process of it really attracted me to it. Uh, at first it was very technical heavy and we really explored that, but then eventually you find that it's a very malleable um, process. It's very plastic. You can really, it's not as not as indirect or, um, or direct or however you want to term it. It's, it's far more available now uh, uh, culturally to really expand and really progress beyond what is the rules that we I think we that many people think printmaking is sure well and it would seem too that you know and I'm sure that's something that continues in your current practice is just the way that um, you know it seems like printmaking is also about being a part of a community almost because you're kind mm-hmm. of sharing this space but you also wind up getting a lot of different ideas and strategies and mm-hmm. new ways of exploration just by being around other artists working and kind of sharing and working in that space. Uh, very true. Uh, because it's, it's a craft-based history um, and also the, the, the pure logistics of a shop, the, the investment it takes to create it because presses are not cheap. They're about um, for a good press, it's uh, the price of a good you know, car. So it really forces a community-driven aesthetic and uh, personality within the space. And that's another thing I really was attracted by into was um, that community environment that you always had somebody around and you always had um, – there's always interesting conversations that would arrive um, that would either progress the work or hinder the work. And, but then also, again, that availability to separate yourself immediately and um, be in your own space. So there was quite a wonderful dialogue in it that I, I, I didn't see in the painting program or uh, studio where it's more singular. Right, right. Well, and it's interesting because it has both of those facets then. You know, if you want to lock yourself in a room and just, you know, uh, rock away on a, on a copper plate, mm-hmm. you know, um, then you can. Um but I guess this brings up another issue then, too. So aesthetically, what were your interests in terms of the, the visual kind of things that you're looking at? Because I also kind of always think of your work as, as being somewhat minimal or, or even, you know, void of, like, you know, certainly, like, super intensive kind of colors. Um, mm-hmm. Was there a particular conscious effort or, or thought to how you're interested in those formal qualities? Uh, yeah, I think for one, the color palette that I grew up around in the Midwest is very, it's kind of minimal to, um, um, 
in the farmlands, you you don't have exaggerated colors unless it's a, a big red barn, and that kind of sticks right. out. Um, like going to a, a shopping store was like the, the most elaborate color spectacle you'd find growing up. So that that was always a an influence was that color palette. Um, also, it was it was a reaction to seeing a lot of prints at that time that was very colorful and it was very um, like uh, like colorful color sake sometimes. Sure. And that just uh, so I I just didn't want to. I was kind of in a way reacting to that and wanting to move away from that. And also the subject matter that I was working with uh, was a much more mental space, a much more mental environment, uh, like uh, borrowing information, borrowing uh, uh, elements of design and, and architectural drafting that I had grown up with as well. As my father's an architect and my uncle's an architect, so I, I grew up around the drafting table and seeing these schematics and these blueprints. So that, that also is a very minimal pared down space, simple, uh, a very simplified space. So I was also really attracted to that. What did that lead to in terms of your BFA work, um, your, your show and, and what, what that, that show looked like? Uh, well, the show at the time was, uh, I, did a, a series of prints that um, were, in a way, a schematic. My versions of schematic drawings uh, or blueprints or illustrations for these three sculptural works that are made of wax and glass and copper. Um, they were basically three interpretations. The sculptures were three in, uh, interpretations of beds that I had uh, lived on and like during my time in undergrad. Uh, my, the bed in my house, on uh, my apartments. The, a hospital bed as well as um, a, a rug that I slept on because at the time I was having a lot of back issues and which um, and so this bed became a sort of um, a point of of uh, of warmth as well as coldness because of the the back injury that I had so uh, so like the sculptures would range from a very warm, inviting, sort of billowy, soft piece that had a, a, a pillow made of glass thread, um, and the the wax was these sil- uh, very tiny cylindrical, amber quality uh, gla- um, uh, wax sort of pillars that just made up this whole bed and just was invited the viewer to really want to sleep into it. But again, because glass pillow it's it, it, it hurt or fracture you or you know embedded into your skull and then uh the last one was based off the medical bed i was on where it was a, a, a sheet of copper where i had buffed down to a, a fine patina the, the exact same size of my height of, my, of uh, five foot six and then rolled so that it would create a concave um, shape, a U-shape, where it would be floating in the middle of the the room. But then I had laid on it, after going out running, I had laid down it all sweaty, naked. And then what happened was the oxidization of my sweats and my oils, my body, onto this pristine piece of copper would start oxidizing it and start breaking it down, changing colors over time during throughout the exhibition. And over that was suspending these very phallic, very... Uh, medical white, 
funnel shapes um, that would be almost pointing down towards it. Again, I was going through a lot of, uh, I was really looking back at uh, on that piece, just, those pieces just as these metaphors for, um, you know, uh, these private spaces that I would really go to and um, think about, think about my injury, think about, you know, the daily life struggles and so on. And they became kind of these vessels of that, of, that, of those, uh, those environments. What did you want it then kind of going on to do? Because I, I, if I'm not mistaken, you also took some time off after yeah. undergraduate? Yeah, I took about six years off from between undergrad and grad school. Um, what happened was I, um, I still made arts. I still produced. Uh, got a, and went out, immediately went out and got a studio after I graduated and just started trying to find a way to how to afford the studio. As, as artists do, and uh, but then what stopped me from going to grad school immediately was I had a back surgery, and it basically took me a while to relearn how to walk and uh, uh, just be you know just be physical again. So I had to really stop uh, for a bit and um, sort of find and I guess in a way take care of myself physically. Right. And then I had and then of course because of the states uh, I had to pay that back, you know, pay off the debt, which was quite sizable. Sure. And uh, so that took another four years to pay that off after all said and done. So uh, while, while at the same time still, um, you, know, uh, you, you know, having a studio practice, a private studio practice, focusing more on painting and uh, sculptural installational works, the warehouse pieces and so on. Right. So how did you wind up going to school then? Um, I've always wanted to be involved with it, and I wanted, always wanted to go to grad school. I, um, my plan originally was to take two years off from school and then to kind of – I always wanted to get a, a, a perspective in between education, uh, like a, a perspective of the arts um, outside of uh, academia. And, and also, I had worked for a couple of artists as a studio assistant, so I learned a lot from them during this period of time, too. And it was in this, the discussions with them um, in, their, in their private spaces about school and education. And is it important to go to school to be an artist? And why do you want to go to, you know, these really philosophical conversations go up? I guess eventually, after finally paying off the medical debt, um, and just working a job I absolutely hated. I just kind of, you, you kind of throw your hands in the air and say, I'm done with this. I need to, you know, I, I need to get back to what I want to get back to. So that was kind of the, the moment where I decided to call in and to call in late to work. And I went to, uh, just walked into the ISU and ran into Jim Butler and said, I want to go to grad school. What can you do for me? And he made a bunch of calls. <laughs> right, right. And so that's how you wound up in Alberta. Yeah, um, I I just started um, sending out emails and um, putting you know you know you know putting a submission together and so on, and then um, look, waiting for those offers and those acceptance letters and those de- and those declines, <laughs> and uh, went to grad school. Went to, went to Canada. It's interesting. And I know that during that time, there was a real strong connection with Alberta 
and and all of the printmaking that was coming out of there. Printmakers like Sean Caulfield did. Did you get an opportunity to work with him? And, and was that any reason that you might wanted to go to Alberta? Yes, uh, I, I had worked with him. He was a uh, he intro- introduced me to Intaglio, and then uh, uh, we we had we had um, sparingly kept in touch over the years, uh, just because I was sort of outside of academia at that point and just sort of um, just popping in the email to him every once in a while. Um, but yeah, there was there was a strong contingent to uh, a relationship, almost like a tunnel in a sense, pipeline between ISU and Alberta because of the Alberta's connection to uh, the world of printmaking. Um, they have a very strong international presence and they really make it a point to, um, you know, keep international uh, connections to universities. So, and that's what kind of, um, that's what, that's what sparked that was uh, he had told me to apply to their program and I did. Sure. Well, and, and just from having kind of checked it out myself, I know that the facilities there sounded like they're absolutely incredible. Yeah, they're probably the second greatest facilities, um, uh, facilities for printmaking in the world. The first probably being Mutsushino in Japan. So they have uh, the grad studio alone in there is uh, is massive, like. Uh, it's 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 incredible. Well, and I would imagine that it's also then going to get and recruit like the absolute cream of the crop artists in terms of exploring printmaking. So, what was going going back into that environment like? Not not to say that they're a bunch of uh, you know schmucks at ISU, but uh, <laughs> you know when, when you're going to a place that probably you know has machines to do absolutely everything that you've ever wanted to do printmaking wise, it must be uh, like being in, in a toy store. Uh, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was, you're giving, you're given a lot of stuff, just a lot of of mechanics, a lot of mechanisms. There's two technicians there even that are absolutely brilliant at what they do and brilliant artists, uh, that are there to help and sort of facilitate, um, technical knowledge as well as the, the professors who really want to talk about theory and the the conceptual goals of, of the work. Um, yeah, it's like, like you're a kid in a candy store to a degree, but then also it's because you're given so much, it's also very intimidating. Um, and you have to be very careful of that. So, um, because once you do that, then when you leave, you don't have all that anymore. So that's, as your, 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 your term there, your tenure as a, as a student winds down, you start feeling this, and this, this uh, oh crap moment of I'm not going to have any of this this facility anymore. Right, right. Well, and so then you know what did you wind up kind of exploring then when you started there? Were you continuing these these kind of series of um, you know invest- investigations in the landscapes? Uh, yep, I was still doing a lot of um, intaglio based and litho based works, uh, more abstract, more based off of uh, heritage quilts. Uh, I was actually um, I was you know. Uh, I was really quilting paper and um, sculpturally as well as two-dimensionally um, and and obviously referencing, you know, topographical landscape and so on. But then I eventually, um, because one of the main decisions I decided to go to U of A was the States, uh, specifically in, in ISU and a lot of universities that I applied to or was looking for in grad studies, 
um, they're, they're not very photo heavy. Um, they're much more of a drawn sort of a practice of printmaking versus the photo chemical and the photo um, mechanical process. And they're very much uh, Canada and U of A and uh, a lot of universities internationally are incorporate that. And that was one of my main goals and decisions why I wanted to go there because they approach and making in a whole other way of, well, philosophically approaching it in a new way for me at the time. And so that's when I really got into photography and 4x5 film work and even digital printmaking for the first time, exploring that. So, um, yeah, because they have all this stuff and this cultural history that is international, that's, they were, you're, you're, they were, I was afforded the availability just to further my research and play around and just investigate things that, was, that initially scared the hell out of me. So how are you affected then in being in this new environment and you know being asked to challenge yourself to maybe explore different types of work, different processes? How did that new environment impact your work? They, they never really say that um, to abandon your process. They... They kind of just let you go and and find your own path. There's some artists that make the that just end up making the exact same thing they're making and sort of just already have their grad studies, their graduate show in their head from day one uh, or like two years before that. And there's some people that just say, okay, I'm, I'm just going to go at it and see what happens and you know throw it on the wall and see if it sticks. And um, I was on I was on the latter part. I just was I just want to see what I can do with all this technology and um, let my the way my brain thinks on an engineering level, mathematical level, sort of just help dictate that sort of environment, that, that technology, um, just you know, learning technology for the first time that was uh, alien to me. What kind of research are you kind of doing to kind of support your work during this period of time? Mm-hmm. Um, again, uh, I think all my work is a product of my environment. Um, when I got here, uh, when I got to the uh, Edmonton, the first thing I kept uh, hearing about and everybody talking about was uh, this tar sands thing. And I was very, that was a very alien thing coming from the States. We didn't hear much about the tar sands at this time. I don't know how it is in the States now, how much, I know the, the Keystone pipeline is big, but uh, before that, there wasn't, that never came up. So I kept hearing tar sands, tar sands, tar sands. And the, the phrase alone, the two words put together was very intriguing because it was very abstract but also kind of seductive. So I had to go see it. And, um, and it's basically four hours north of Edmonton. Um, and as soon as you go there, it's, it's a mind trip. It's, it literally it, it kind of changes your whole perspective on everything. It's... Um, a sensory overload, uh, very synesthetic in many ways. Um, it literally, the first time in my life, I can walk into a place and have absolutely no scale relationship to my body and to the environment because it's it was so massive. It was construction on the scale of nature, um, and that's what kind of was the impetus for the new body of work that, I, uh, that I've, been, I've been working on since with um, these really weird alien environments and strange topographical um, micro-macro spaces. Um, 
So yeah, that was that was part of it. And then also again, getting getting back into readings, getting back into um, landscape theory, um, contemporary theory, and um, and mixing that into into the dialogue of the studio practice. Well, and so is that is that how your your um, installation came about the uh, tar plane warfare? Yeah, I was. Um, I was. I had just returned from a, a, a research trip up north to Tarsan to the Fort McMurray Tar Sands project, and uh, the owner of the building, a gentleman by the name of Gene Dub, he's a, a, a local architect there, and he owns a lot of property uh, right next to um, Society of Northern Alberta Print Artists, SNAP, the Artist Run Center. There, there was this building, this old warehouse that he used just for storage, and it was in downtown Harts. Of Edmonton, and it, and it was just covered in, you know, people would walk by it and not recognize it. I mean, huge, you know, storefront windows, beautiful, beautiful building. And he, I just, in conversation, said, I'm really interested in this building. Uh, would you allow me to make something here? And he just said, yeah, do whatever you want to it, and I'll give it to you for three weeks. And uh, right then and there, I had uh, 200 rolls of, of uh, newspaper end rolls from the newspaper delivered for free. And I just started a three-week performance, eight hours a day, seven days a week of just tearing paper and not really having a focus on what it's going to look like, just letting it manipulate itself to create this environment that was um, about process. It was about, you know... Um, the mechanism of manufacturing of, of, of almost insanity. So, well, and it's so interesting too, because you think of the, the scale of some of the, the plates that you might work on, um, being so small and then you're mm-hmm. kind of left in this massive space where it's almost like you're, you're almost on the surface of this plate then, you mm-hmm. know, and you're kind of physically creating all of these, these textures and, you know, areas of interest that you might do, um, but in an entirely different way than you've done before. Um, what, what was the most challenging aspect of it in terms of just kind of figuring out what you're doing? I mean, were there days that you were like, yeah, this is going good. And then it's just like, no, I've totally got to switch this around. What, how did it change over that course of time? Um, it changed dramatically a lot. I, um, because I, I had invited the, the public to come in and sort of react to it as well, and it was a very curious thing because it's like I, I didn't I didn't advertise that. Uh, the, I mean, I kept the windows open. I didn't paste over the windows. People could walk by and see me working. And of course, when you, if you're walking by as a pedestrian and you see this individual just tearing paper for hours on hours on hours, creating what looks like a giant flammable mess. Um, in, a, in an abandoned warehouse, it's going to create some kind of concern, and um, and, that was, and, it was, and that was slightly purposeful too. Within within the context of the conversation, it's a very it's a quietly political work I, I, to a degree. Uh, people would come in and they would start asking me questions, and I never tell them it's about tar sands. I would just tell them about you know just um, what I'm doing. I'm tearing paper. I'm just sort of uh, the conversation of it, uh, and then they would actually. People will start tearing paper with me or kicking things around or start cussing me out um, and get weird looks. Uh, one guy asked if I was hiring. Um, uh, so it was, it was a very interesting sort of public 
uh, venue, a public um, a piece for it in, the, in a public space that was kind of kind of harking back to the Gorilla sculptural warehouse days in, in like Joliet and Peoria and Springfield and, and Chicago. Well, and, and what kind of materials then were you exploring too, aside from just paper? Because I, I believe that there's a ton of other things. Yeah, um, paper, flour, um, tar, and um, God, think back. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, those are the three main things. Um, I chose materials that were very bland, and they were. Uh, they were in, in process. Like newspaper is because um, it's end rolls; it hasn't been printed on yet. It's clean. It's it's one step away from being printed on. Flowers one step away from being bread. Tar is one step away from being roads or being oil or being whatever. So it's like these all these items are in transit of being something greater than. Very demo, they're very democratic materials, um, and they're very loaded materials. Because they have changed history, they have changed and manipulated economy and nations and so on. It seems like, too, the way that you're thinking about landscape and, and our expectation of it and others' expectation of it, you know, is really something that, that kind of gets explored really thoroughly. And I think especially, you know, to kind of relate it to another piece is this, um, is it Inner the Peripheral? Yeah, and Inner the Peripheral was a piece that I did... Um, in relation to um, a body of work called Cities of the, uh, the Prairie, and as a series of photogravures that were of these uh, manipulated, somewhat strange alien environments uh, between the top topography of landscape and topography of skin, uh, these really surreal spaces. And what I did was, uh, to make these pieces, I'd always make models and sort of create these um, these these intricate models in the studio, photograph them, and then re-manipulate them and print them out, photogravure-wise. Uh, but for this piece, um, everybody was a reaction to everybody asking to one wanting to see the models. They wanted to see the models because they couldn't understand how the scenes were constructed. So I decided, okay, I'm going to create a piece that is responding to this, but I'm going to hide it and purposely, you know, force the viewer to be separated from actually physically touching it or being in that space. So I had built the model, I built this environment behind a wall, um, a gallery wall, gallery whites, gallery everything, gallery specs, uh, in a specific gallery space at uh, in Alberta. And as they'd come to the work, they'd see two pillows on the floor, two black pillows, and two eye holes, two brass uh, oculuses that they were at, at waist height. So they would have to kneel down and uh, look into the, and gaze through the, um, the peephole. And kind of a dirty kind of, uh, uh, um, because they're bowing down in sort of like this, you know, gesture of, okay. But sure. it also kind of uh, relates to a pilgrimage of being penitent and so on. So there's a relationship there that was happening but then they, they they look in and they see this a physical environment that was seen in the the two-dimensional works but at the same time when they're looking through the eye hole would be blowing air back in your eye sort of you know puffing air into your eye hole into your eyelid and sort of making you to, to step back again and uh, you know attraction repulsion 
um, forcing the viewer to really have to work to to see it, and in, in this piece is still sort of pushing you back. Um, again, you're never actually physically able to actually be in the same space of this environment, which which physically exists. So you're you're being forced away um, and restricted. But then, as you enter the space, as you go to the second floor, because there's another gallery on the second floor, um, people always look down. They always look down because the architecture of the, the room, the building, uh, was designed for that. So as they look down, they realize that behind this wall, because they they would say, "Okay, now I can see the behind the wall. I can see the model." All they would see is this. It was all sand. This like topped up all the way eight feet high of sand. And, but eventually they also notice that it's breathing, it's rising up and then slowly moving down like a, a, like someone's chest, like breathing, like a lung. And it, you, you know, expanding up and down slowly, gesturally throughout uh, the course of its, um, its, um, its life in the gallery scene. So again, another conversation of internal, external, uh, mental space versus uh, physical space, uh, you know, how we decide, how we describe the landscape and, and, and remember it versus the physicality of it. All these things. Is there like a particular way that you see these things kind of gelling together in terms of the way that you explore all these different bodies of work now? Oh, yeah. I'm always, I think with the two-dimensional work, I'm always looking for, I'm really playing with internal, external uh, philosophies of, of memory and how we describe things through dream and like the sublime, uh, the contemporary sublime, uh, very um, surreal sort of environments. Um, like I, I have a lot of concerns, I guess, for me of how mentally I'm engaging with uh, the environments and how it's affecting my internal and external space. And I think these these prints and these two-dimensional works are kind of a physical representation, um, albeit very sci-fi and borrowing from this sort of information that uh, sci-fi films actually talk about in their works um, quietly. Um, I'm really wanting to explore this sort of idea and really the mystery behind it, not being too didactic, uh, purposely sort of giving you hints and... and um, and little discoveries so that makes the viewer question where the viewer is at um, in relation to this, this environment or this alien space. Um, the three-dimensional works, it's just I'm really wanting to explore the physicality of it, the, the physicality of industry, the multiple, um, the remnants, the detritus of, um, of space and uh, of environment that through manipulation of environment. Well, and the other thing that's interesting then too is where they also start to kind of merge, because mm-hmm. it seems. And I was describing to you, you know, in terms of researching, you know, I'm starting to see um, certain images that wind up getting used, or like at least certain sculptural elements that wind up then becoming the the basis for a series of prints. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, is that something that that kind of way that they coexist? Is that something that kind of feeds then each other? Like, you'll you'll continue working on an installation that turns into a series of prints that turns into a different kind of installation or different experience of this space that you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they, they do coexist uh, because they both reside in the studio at the same time. Uh, typically when I'm 
working on uh, a, uh, an installation because there's a heavy amount of multiple going on. There's a heavy production of of just printing. Um, it's it's very much just uh, just just busy work. So mentally, while I'm working on that, I'm also mentally engaging in the two dimensional works, and and a lot of the information will eventually sort of you know, evolve into the two-dimensional works I'm thinking about or the sculptures I'm thinking about to build these two-dimensional works. So there is a lot of borrowing and a lot of sharing, but then there's, there is a considerable amount of, of, of differences going on as well that is um, very purposeful to, uh, so they can have their own sort of space, their own sort of identity. Well, and it's interesting too because it... it, it can't help but kind of bring up for me also like a, a relationship of like otherworldliness, you know, that you might associate with science fiction as well. Mm-hmm. Is that something that is also kind of a goal in terms of kind of disorienting the way that you kind of come to these, whether it, whether it is two-dimensional or three-dimensional? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm a, I'm a, like a sci-fi kid. I grew up reading sci-fi. I grew up Comic books. I read I grew up uh, graphic novels, um, European graphic novels like from Humanoid Press, uh, Jodorowsky and Mobius, and all these things. And, and watching a lot of film, like uh, everything from Alien to 2001: A Space Odyssey, Solaris. Um, um, I borrow a lot of information and identity from the sci-fi because sci-fi is uh, is talking about contemporary culture and. In futuristic ideas and how mankind is respondent or manipulating uh, or manipulation of environment and, and vice versa. So I am purposely borrowing a lot of that sort of dialogue and then infusing it into the work um, because it is such a it's a contemporary conversation and, and more so now than ever has been in many ways. So we've been talking a little bit about sci-fi and how that might influence the work and, and technology. You know, where do all those things merge in terms of the way that you're kind of creating these new environments? You know, and, and you were just talking a little bit about the idea of the synthetic and and those types of things. Or, you know, one might think of even something like nanotechnology, especially when you're looking at some of these prints that are so much about surface and, you know, relate to that idea of skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, is that something that's interesting to you or something that you're exploring? Yeah, I mean, the uh, it, I've always been interested in technology because it's always, technology is primarily, the driving force of the creation of technology is for the, um, is for human, uh, human beings, is for us, is for, it's not really that much for the environment or whatever, it's actually for our needs, um, maybe our needs on the environment, or our needs on ourselves. Well, like nanotechnology is a perfect example of this conversation right now. We're trying to create this, develop this new sort of science that is more of on the micro macro level of of cellular structure um, for human beings and so, medical and uh, uh, military and so on. So when I was making these works, I was also at the t- same time introducing new technology to my studio process and the reasons were because that technology is a very synthetic environment it's a, a binary space it's a it's theoretical space um and if i want if i wanted to get 
these synthetic symbiotic relationship in these in these environments that have a symbiotic relationship, then I'm, I couldn't really draw it out as much. It would be too illustrative. So um, I had to basically showcase it in almost like a, a documentary sort of appeal. And I found that Photoshop, um, these uh, um, binary code software um, platforms like uh, 3D Studio Max, uh, Blender, and all these things helped really enforce this idea. It became not about just technology, the work not about technology, the use of technology. It became about um, the, the relationship technology has to um, the art-making environments, the studio practice. It helped imbue this dialogue that uh, I don't think was, uh, um, I would have not have been able to um, achieve without it, you know? Sure. Well, cause especially that, that scale, you know, I mean, and we, and I kind of described, or at least, you know, poorly described, um, you know, mezzotinting or referenced mm-hmm. in, um, but obviously those things are very handmade. Um, and so that, especially like the, the way that you get certain prints to have almost kind of like a, a sheen, kind of quality to it um, that almost kind of, I don't know, that, that sense where you're so closed in on something that you can, like, see the pores and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's interesting because it kind of elicits that idea of landscape but on an entirely different level. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also one that, that almost is, um, I don't know, potentially uncomfortable, too. Um mm-hmm. What kind of a reaction then do you wind up getting in terms of uh, seeing some of these more recent bodies of work? Because it seems like then the the way that people interact with them might be entirely different. I don't know if you're if you're walking into an installation um, versus you know seeing a bunch of um, you know kind of smaller kind of prints. Um, but I don't know what's what kind of reactions do you wind up getting in, in terms of seeing some of these pieces? Uh, the print work. Um... A lot of people just get really, really close to the work, like almost nose touching the paper, um, because they they don't know if it's a photo- if it's a photograph, uh, they don't know if it's a print, they don't know if it's digital, they don't know what the, the space, the environment. They, there's a lot of mystery in the work that I I really uh, I purposely you know imbue the work in. Um, like I, I don't, I'm not wanting to describe an actual place, an actual environment. So I'm taking hints of skin. I'm taking hints of, of, of bird's eye view, of, of, of uh, micro macro, of, um, you know, these alien environments again, and just peppering it with just enough information so that viewers can bring in more questions, more responses on their own end. Um, there is, uh, like, again, mystery is the key to the works in, in many ways. I, I don't want to give away everything. Um, there's, there's, I really want to have a seductive quality to this, the porous sort of skin-like texture that is kind of wet and kind of sickly at the same time in the att- attraction and kind of repulsion. With the three-dimensional works, I'm really wanting to, again, showcase um, a bit of a scale relationship to the body, but more so than the 2D works, a physicality, a, a true physicality, something that is labored, something that is broken, something that is, you know, um, we, we understand it more on a physical level that we can, you know, we don't know how much, it, uh, we, we question how much it weighs, we question how big it is, and like the, uh, how, how long it took to actually 
manipulate and create, sew and stitch and print and so on. It's more on a, of a, a labored response sure. uh, to the environment and so on. Uh, but also, again, a, t- a topography of alien, sp- of an alien sort of strange topography. And it's very interesting because then if you, if you look at a piece then like the, um, the uh, arc piece, the distance arc piece, mm-hmm. it then becomes like, I don't know, like an actual physical breathing almost kind of landscape, uh, something that's very, you know, object-oriented object in a way that, that obviously then the others aren't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, uh, well, the the distance arc piece is a uh, is one of four uh, sculptural pieces that are all, that are all interconnected. Uh, the other one being um, two of them are made. Uh, the other two are, are, are waiting to be made in the future. But distance distance arc is one of them, and the other one on the website you'll see is um, a piece called the "World Is Flat." And the and the 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 storyline between all four of these pieces is of the four elements, uh, earth, air, water, and fire. Distance arc being air, and then world is flat being earth. And basically recreating, making a, a, a nod to landscape, to topography, through the vantage point of the bird's eye view, but utilizing, um, taking from a reference point, objects that are you know, created out of industry, of detritus of industry, to basically uh, manipulate, develop, um, you know, uh, create contemporary landscape um, by destruction or by aerial surveillance and so on. Um, so these are basically uh, remnants, in a sense, or have these conversations of uh, of a, a, a like a dying object or something that's trying to struggle to survive, uh, something that is. Ethereal, or you know, you know, um, just it it, it 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 is in a sense a remnant of of, of industry. While the birth piece, uh, the boxes, that is more towards uh, that was a piece that I just wanted. I, I really want to talk about economy, the economic structure, um, the, poli- the very quiet politics of uh, of globalization within uh, materials. And how one thing can be used for many things, or be manipulated to create other things, and so on. The, again, construction, the detritus of construction, uh, and you know all these sort of storylines. It's really interesting in the way that all a lot of these works might seem to be, you know, again slightly like different takes on it, different explorations of it, but they all seem to kind of have that that same. I don't know, level of just kind of investigation or that, that desire to have a, a visual investigation of these things and to kind of question, you know, how they're perceived. Mm-hmm. Um, is there, is there just a matter of just kind of continuing to explore that through all of the bodies of work that you keep exploring? I know that, for example, you have a, um, kind of a slight variation from, um, from some of these ideas in, um, the most recent works that are kind of kind of combining all of these sourced um, city photographs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so how how does that that body of work fit in, in terms um, of the most current? Prints? I think that body of work came out of um, <clears throat> the the Metropolis Chronicles body of work. It's been an ongoing more. It started off as more of a private uh, body of work where I was 
I've been collecting um, historic found uh, aerial negatives of cityscapes, of um, uh, places that are from the 19, you know, that are photographed in the 1940s, 1950s, 1920s. Kind of a, they're of a lost time, but they're of, they showcase industry, showcase this, this, this point of, um, of, uh, of militari- militarized growth in the United States because of the, the world wars. Um, but what I found to be interesting about them is they tie on with the rest of the work based off the sci-fi conversation. Uh, they have, when I looked at them and I, and I always started viewing them privately, I always, was always attracted to them based off of my love of pulp novellas and uh, sci-fi comics from the 40s and 50s and that sort of era of, uh, you know, mystical landscape and sci-fi wonder. And uh, because these are environments that are of Chicago, of of Minneapolis, of um, places that I know and I grew up around, but then they're they're of a a bent timeline, a lost timeline, things that I, I, I recognize but then don't anymore. And so there's a level of manipulation there. There's a level of uh, this, this sort of distant conversation of um, of a lost environment or of a, an ideal or of a of a of, indis- of an industry that has gone rampant, you know. And then these again by introducing these floating objects, these mo- uh, molecular things these sort of orbs or these characters, if you will, it creates a, a completely different dialogue in comparison to the, the, the cities of the prairies works or the sculptural works. So I guess in a way it's a combination of both. I don't know. I don't know. I'm still, yeah. Still figuring this one out. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been a, a, a series of private works that I've been, that has lived on my hard drive for a long, long time that I've just finally decided, okay, I'm just going to put them out there and see what happens. Uh, some of them are turning into animations where the, um, the molecules are slowly floating and and creating themselves in these environments. Rivers are flowing. Smoke is coming out of the chimney stacks. Uh, again, a very quiet work where you may not think it is moving, but it is. Right. So... Well, and the thing that's interesting to me about it, too, is that they seem timeless. And it, it might be just because of, aside from knowing, you know, how they were made, it's hard to get an idea of, you know, when they're made or if they're, you know what I mean? In, in, in a way, a lot of them could be from the future. And so it's interesting, too, because it brings up all these ideas of, you know, like a after human beings or, you know, after civilization kind of, at, at, you know, idea to it. Um but it's all very interesting then too, because it again it still it seems like like it all is about kind of that big encompassing umbrella of exploring landscape and and how we ex- understand and, and experience landscape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, with that work, I, I always found it to be very interesting because it's uh, it's a bird's eye view. It's it's a it's a the negative the, the found negative is a record of time. It's a rec- it's a record of uh, industrialization, of growth, of, of cityscape environments. Of uh, they were taken specifically for urban developments. They weren't taken for um, just sightseeing because they didn't have satellites and Google Earth and all that at this time. This is what they they were used for. So embedded in the, the, these photographs is, is this strange documentation of of almost like like 
a growth, but in a way, in a weird way, I, I, I see it as almost like a cellular, cellular level because it's it's so expansive; it just keeps going, and there is a, a, a strange skewed scale relationship. Plus, I, I also re-manipulate the photograph through uh, digital means. I, I move city, I move buildings, I edit buildings out, I. I, I shift it further from what its original image was purposefully so that it it's, creates um, a different sort of perspective than it, what, than it once was. You're just going to have to get these into libraries, you know, <laughs> into like the storage rooms, you know, where they have old photographs of cityscapes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to mess with the future ancients. Um <laughs> So it, it seems like then there's a then there's that that level then of the exploring and the, the current studio work is that is that kind of where you're focused at or are you still kind of exploring all these different veins? Um, pretty much studio wise, the way I work is I, I work on one body work at a time, and then once that body work's done, and while I'm working on that body work because it's so it can be there's times where it's quite monotonous in regards to production, I'm thinking about other bodies of work or other things. I can't wait to get to the next series or something like I'm working on 2d. Then I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the three dimensional process project I'm working on next and so on. Um, right now I'm working on a three dimensional, uh, sculptural work that'll be exhibited in a few months from now that, uh, will further this conversation on, on industry, uh, more likened to the, the birth uh, piece, the, the pieces with the, the econ- economic structure of language, of um, of uh, the history of, uh, of of communication and the detritus of it. Um, and then after that, I'm going, going back into the two-dimensional works. So I'm kind of slowly moving into it. I'm kind of working on it here and there when I can, but... There'll be a larger exhibition coming up in uh, in the future for the showcasing the two dimensional work. Sure. And so, uh, wh- when can we expect to see this uh, this installation finish? Uh, late April. It's going to be uh, exhibited in in, um, in British Columbia um, in Canada um, in Kelowna. So. And it's, are there other current goings on, or are you just in that that mode of exploration and production? Uh, exploration production heavily on that right now, but then I'm also working on um, a number of other shows um, booked up till 2015. Um, one specifically is the for the uh, solo show at uh, the Art Gallery of Nova Scotia, where it'll be um, a much more extensive body of work um, regarding the two-dimensional print works. So. And so, when do you get an assistant? Oh, um, <laughs> whenever I can pay you in hot dogs and, uh, and beer. <laughs> oh. So it sounds like you'll be quite busy. Um, so it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how how all these things shake out. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. It's, uh, just, uh, just it's nothing but work. Well, we'll be we'll be sure to have you back on at some point to uh, pick your brain when you're. Um, you know, doing something else entirely crazy. <laughs> <laughs> crazy is what I do. <laughs> so, well, thanks again for taking the time to uh, chat today. I really appreciate you having you on, and again, really enjoy the work. And thank you. Thanks for having me.
Thanks again to Mitch for joining us. And once again, you can see more of his work by visiting MitchMitchellArt.com. And again, there'll be a link on this very blog entry. Once again, if you want to help us out and help Mitch out, please share this on Facebook and Twitter. You'll see there's little features on the right of this blog entry that will allow you to easily share it on Facebook and Twitter. So go ahead and do that. You'll also notice there's an easy way to like Studio Break on Facebook, so go ahead and do that as well. And remember, we have tons of other podcasts, other artists that we featured, so make sure to go through all the archives that we have. Again, you can keep adding them on the bottom of the page, or if you want to, you can go look to the left on the archive feature and go month by month. Once again, you'll also notice on the left side of that scroll bar page is me, your host, David Linaway. I highly encourage you to go check out my work. Once again, I do a number of paintings that deal with architecture and landscape in a very abstract way. And again, there's always new work going up. Again, you can also preview new work, new goings on by checking out our Facebook page, Studio Break on Facebook, where again, I posted a recent image of one of my paintings and all sorts of good stuff. So if we come along something that's interesting, we share it there, including competitions, previews of upcoming guests, all sorts of good stuff. So remember, like us on Facebook. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Studio Break on Twitter. So please go ahead and do that. As always, the music today was provided by freemusicarchive.org where they've got thousands of artists and albums and all sorts of great stuff that you can download all for free, including this brand new album by one of my favorites, Jazar. Again, our songs opening us up, Revolver and Beloved. So please go ahead and check out Jazar, freemusicarchive.org. Again, tons of free stuff. I think they've got about 18 albums up there all for free so if you happen to like this music or just want to look for other music go ahead and check out freemusicarchive.org lastly we just have some announcements one of them being that we will have Kendra Pates back on to talk about a curatorial exhibition the house of the seven gables that opens at illinois state university galleries february 23rd through april 7th and again that opening is february 23rd and it will feature a variety of artists including some of our past guests bob jones brian kapernakis bill conger and a slew of others. It's going to be a fantastic show, so I highly recommend if you're in the Bloomington Normal area or if you happen to be in that area between February 23rd and April 7th, I highly recommend to check it out. Also on exhibition through March 3rd is Judy Glantzman's Face to Face, and Judy was also a past guest on Studio Break, and we happily had her on, so please go ahead and check out her episode. All right, everyone, thanks again for listening, and we hope that you share this with everyone and anyone, including the FedEx guy who always leaves those packages at your doorstep, rings the doorbell, and swiftly walks away. Track him down, talk to him about it. If he's not receptive, maybe you want to share it with students, faculty members, anybody that's interested in the visual arts, please share this podcast. We'd really, really appreciate it. All right, thanks again to everyone who listens to this podcast and shares it with others. Couldn't imagine that we'd be turning 50 already, but we are very excited about that, and we have plenty of more podcasts coming up. We'll talk to you real soon.